0: Well, hello, Exponential family. Welcome back to The Hub. Uh, My name is Bill Kochenauer. I'm part of the Exponential team. And it is my pleasure, along with uh, Brooks Heyman, who kind of works behind the scene and really is the one that uh, makes sure all of this uh, comes off. Thank you, Brooks, for everything that you do. But he's the uh, best. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And we want to welcome you. Um, This uh, past 12 months has been incredibly challenging, to to say the least. And, uh, and it, and it's taken its toll on a lot of people. I, early on, somebody said, we're all in the same boat. And, you know, over the past 12 months, it's become clear to me that we're not all in the same boat. We're all in the same storm, but we're in different boats and, and we're being impacted pretty dramatically differently. Um, but it's, but it's taken a toll on, on a lot of us. A lot of us have had to to pivot to new strategies, uh, especially in the early days of COVID, both in terms of our personal lives, as well as, uh, in our churches. And, um, but now the the vaccine is is being distributed. We're starting to see cases in most places come down. My wife and I get our second vaccine a week from
1: tomorrow, and uh, I get my my first one on Thursday. Okay. Which, which one are you doing? I won't know until I get there. Okay. Yeah. No, there's that shortage on Johnson, so it'll probably be
0: another one. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. We're but all of that is is kind of giving us this feeling that maybe there is a light at the end of the tunnel, uh, finally, and. Uh, and, and, you know, so we think about this, there's been sort of this great pause that's put on whatever our current plans were. And, you know, there's a realization of the control that we thought we had over certain things that we didn't have. And, and we've really had to, um, to, to to really put a pause on some of the things that we were doing. And there's a temptation now, though, I think, that as, as we're beginning to approach and begin to emerge out of... Um, uh, out of the lockdowns and the different things that we've not been able to do. There's, there's, I think this, uh, tendency to move toward just pressing ahead to where we were, you know, 12 or 13 months ago. And, and I think if we do that, we may miss an opportunity to, to see this great pause as perhaps a great reset that maybe God's actually using, uh, this past 12 months to, for us to rethink um, about how to, how to go forward and and doing that both personally in our in our own homes and our communities and of course uh, in our churches and that's really what we want to explore in this webinar series uh, that we we've titled Go Beyond. Uh, we don't want to just you know start back with exactly what we're doing, but what what with that if we think of that in terms of a great reset, what does God really want us to do? And so um, that's what we want to explore. I want to welcome uh, our two experts here. Uh, to uh, to this webinar uh, rob wegner who is a founder of the kansas city underground he's also part of the the leadership team for disciples made and uh, a pro- prolific thought leader author practitioner and uh, a good friend rob good to have you with us good to see you bill thanks for hosting today man yeah, my pleasure. And Brian this Brian, it's, it's good to have you with us. Brian's actually the founder of Disciples Made, and and so a lot of the content that you're going to be hearing uh, through this webinar series that uh, will be coming from Disciples Made. And Brian, it's good to have you here. Uh, uh, a privilege to be a part, man. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us just real quickly, how did Disciples Made come about? Uh,
2: repented. Okay. I mean, uh, <laughs> 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 I mean, that's the shortest answer. I mean, the very first beginning was, uh, and I'll, I'll make this really, really brief. Um, I had been using a plus sign, uh, when it came to disciple reproduction and Jesus got in the car with me after I'd done a huge plus thing at a church where I was just doubled the number of groups from, you know, about a hundred to 200 And, plus, and and he said, Jesus kind of got in the car with me and said, you're using a plus sign. And I prescribed a multiplication sign. And it's time for you to get busy with that. And uh, I was pedaling fast, pedaling as smart as I knew. So I had to really just do a whole new change of mind. I couldn't keep tweaking the system. I had to start over. And And Disciples Made is what has come of it. And like you said, now it's a full-time now, this is where I work full time and have for three years. So things have evolved a lot since that moment. Well, thanks for being a part of this. Thanks for helping to to share your insights, you know,
0: through that with us uh, here. So, guys, what are what's your hope with this series of of go beyond? What you know, when when this was conceived, what was it that you that you had in mind? What would you like to see happen?
1: Well, I, I mean, in our heart, we want to. Uh, our heart really is to wash the feet of the church leaders that are part of this webinar. We know it has been an incredibly challenging time. So we hope this is refreshing. We hope that it's encouraging. Uh, we hope that it's coming at the right time because probably fall, we're going to get to activate in a way that we haven't in a long time. So it's time to start formulating those plans and just kind of underscore what you said, whatever was normal before, uh, returning to that might actually leave the better or best opportunity that Jesus has for us unseized or ignored. So our hope is to help you um, find the best that Jesus has for you. As you're, as you're going back, let's go beyond, you know, let's, let's wherever we have that, you know, the ladder on the wall, maybe we need to stop and go, is there, is that ladder on the right wall? the Did I have the right (laughs) things on the scoreboard? Like Brian just was willing to say like, hey, I had to unlearn some things. I built everything around addition. I had to unlearn some things because I needed to build around multiplication. There's a really unparalleled opportunity right now for church leaders to seize that kind of opportunity, that kind of moment. So we just want to help. We want to help move that conversation forward for everybody who's listening. It's going to be three of these. We hope you come to all of them because they really will build on each other. Brian anything you want to add to that man
2: yeah I mean I that's exactly right and here's what I found after making that big shift I enjoyed ministry an awful lot more I just <laughs> really true. did I mean there were so many more people that were coming alive and so many more people around yep. me and my and my burden became lighter yeah and I think that's a theme of the savior. And so it's like, if there's a chance for you to shelve some of the extra exhaustive work you were doing, you had to do, you had to be exhausted again, because not only did you have to kind of keep going what you had going, but you had to become new creative and how to deliver online and all these different things. So you're probably tired and it'd be great if there was more that more people that could rise up around you to where no one carried the super burden and we all carried the burden together. So just having more fun. And lighter, and uh, and to see, and as pertinent to this particular one that we're going to start with, start to see people less as volunteers to be managed, but more as uh, people to be uh, developed that can share in this joyful thing called bringing the peace and love and restoration of Jesus to the planet. That's what I want to see.
0: Let's go ahead and jump into that one because you know if I if I know if I was a pastor and showing up and just hearing what you've just said here, you know maybe I'm at a place where I don't even know if I have what I had a year ago to be able to reset, you know, or, or, or to be able to, to to go with what I had before. But but I love uh, kind of the abundance language that you're talking about here. And But you are talking about it, uh, even a paradigm shift in some of this, and, and uh, uh, especially with respect to, to volunteers and having enough volunteers. Talk, talk about that.
1: Well, you know, the theme for today is, go beyond having enough volunteers. And I think anyone pre-COVID, any honest church leader would say, that that is a big part of what I have to manage. I've got programs. They all have volunteer slots. um, And a lot of us were in a spot where it's like, wow, it can start to feel like a grind, uh, trying to get all those slots filled, trying to get the programs healthy. Now, most of us have been able to probably pause most of those
2: actually. And and thank goodness, because who enjoys getting the Saturday night calls of cancellations and saying, I can't be there tomorrow morning and then scrambling to go to the people that you always go to on a Sunday morning. It's like such and such who's really consistent and really faithful is finally up there standing next to uh, uh, His wife or her husband, they're finally with their family and I've got to go tap them again to to take over the kids check in. You know, once again, I did it last week and the week before. I mean, to me, COVID would have been a huge relief to not have to live with some of those no, that's painful, painful challenges.
0: Yes.
1: I mean, that the, there was probably many a church leader who secretly thought in private like, whoo. Oh, I get a little break. I don't have to be the head recruiter, head cheerleader, head motivator, head head hunter. Yes. You know, get all these lots filled yeah. and i don't I don't yeah. want to sound crass about it, but I mean, I've led in large for twenty five years, and man, it's always there. and so what if we could reconceive mobilization that would still yield some helpful results in terms of volunteerism, but actually go beyond that? And help people discover something that's internally motivating yeah. that isn't dependent on you to keep pumping them up, something that will energize the volunteers because now they're going to be having an intrinsic motivation to be a part of the ministry they're a part of. And then you will go beyond your church programs. You, what if you, this new way of mobilization, you'll also be activating people in corners of culture where they have been called to. So we think you can get not only a healthier volunteer system, but actually open up the end of the funnel so you're having a bigger impact in your community as well. So you, you, you've you made me want to lean in. You've said this is the easier way,
0: it's better for people. So let, let's get into mobilization. You're talking about moving from a, a, a kind of a posture of recruiting volunteers to actually mobilizing people Tell me about that ha- I mean, initially, that's, I love that and I want that,
1: but that I, I'm, I'm not seeing where the less work comes in either. It, it, you like what you're seeing in the catalog. <laughs> I was showing these guys beforehand. I'm from Chicago. I got this in the mail, Taste of Chicago. I've been sitting here for 15 minutes looking at all the things I want to order.
0: <laughs> now I'm kind hungry. Get Rob's mind into what we're doing here today.
1: <laughs> so you like what you're seeing in here is what you're saying. Yeah, that's well, right. First of all, um, we don't want just uh, ungrounded methodology. Okay. We we want all of our methodology to be grounded in our theology. And now we're back to uh, one of the primary frameworks for exponential, the mobilization framework, made for more, and it's grounded on the Book of Ephesians, which is like Paul's constitutional document. Like, what's the design for the church? It's a universal letter. Um, in fact, in the oldest copies. Of the original manuscripts, the word Ephesus isn't even in there because um, it was going to be circulated. And in, there's basically two shifts we want to highlight, the first two shifts in that framework. First one is um, making a shift from more effort to more Jesus. And let's just be honest. Like a lot of our mobilization systems, if we look at the palpable existential experience of most church leaders, it feels a lot more like effort than it does Jesus. It's like, man, this thing just, whoo, it's a machine. I got to keep feeding. it. I got to keep feeding. It. it doesn't feel like it's actually being energized by the gospel. It's like, it has to be energized by a lot of human effort. Now I'm not trying to throw the whole thing on the scrap heap. I'm just saying we have to start and go, okay, so what vision then, like what is actually fundamentally motivating this thing? And that's where you go to Ephesians 1 and the original design for the church. And Paul there is describing his uh, Christology is informing his ecclesiology. It's a fancy way of saying we have to have a church that's actually fueled by Jesus and looks like Jesus. And he says Jesus is filling everything every way. Whoa. So see your city like an aquarium and start imagining what would that look like? Because Jesus is actually already at work. And at the end of this thing, we win. Like Jesus will return. Evil will be vanquished. And Jesus will fill everything every way. And we're not treading water until then. We just celebrated the resurrection. means a new humanity and that new earth is coming to pass. So, And we are called the fullness of him who fills everything every way. In other words, we manifest. We're his hands and feet. We make that fullness tangible. That's the vision. And see, that's part of the challenge. That's somewhere we need to do the repentance. I have to admit, there was times in my church leadership where I just wanted Jesus to fill my programs. I just wanted Jesus to fill the slots. I'm just being honest, Lord, fill these seats in this auditorium. And part of us right now, the great reset is saying, um, Lord, I, I want to start looking at my city. You know, I want to start looking at least at my zip code or whatever, whatever it is the Lord lays on your heart to say, I want to see this filled. Like that has to be the end zone for multiple for mobilization, not my programs. Now, can the programs be included in that? Yes, but we have to, as church leaders, make that first shift, which is, Lord, I want your vision for the church, which is to fill everything, every way, in my city or my zip code or my four block area, whatever it is. The Lord kind of gives you ownership of and then say so whatever i design in terms of mobilization has to be pointed to that as the end zone that's the first shift that's ephesians one read it for yourself see if you agree with me or not all right and then i'm gonna hand off to ephesians chapter two for brian to talk about the next step
0: even before you do just before you do brian yeah because that that, at the end of ephesians one i mean that really does capture it. You know, he's it, it, it's, it's talking about Jesus and he put all things under his feet and gave him head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who who fills all in all. Amen. And, you know, the realization that there'll never be enough vocational pastors to fill all in all. Mm-mm. So this is really, you know, I mean, it, I, I think, I think what you, you make a really key point in terms of, of, you know, th- this is really our role. This is what we're, this
1: is what we're to be doing. Amen. And now it's the time belt. It's like, Hey, if you, if you are feeling like how I was and I'm admitting, it, I was there. I've been there multiple times in my past. Like now's a great time to say to Jesus, I'm sorry. Yeah. Lord, I don't want to just go back to that. Lord, I, I want what you want, what you designed the church for, you know, and just, it does, it starts with that kind of personal humility. Yeah. Yeah. Repentance is a way forward. Yeah
0: brown
2: yeah talk to us about the the second shift there well that i'd love you know just starting with what rob said ephesians 1 can either haunt you or inspire you and i hope it's a little bit of both uh for me it was this major haunting thing it's like well how do i get into the 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 police department how do i get into kind of law uh, the uh, the the fire department how do i get into the the education realm how do i get into the marketplace realm how do i get into and, and you ask all these questions about how your church can do that. And then Ephesians 2 really is the answer. Uh, Jesus is already in them. Amen. And, it's, and he's doing that through the people that are a part of your church. Now it's just time to say, you, you're no longer dubbed our volunteers at this local congregation. You're dubbed the plan. <laughs> God has actually written code into your soul, spiritual gifts, passions, a unique story that he's been etching out from the moment that you were born, and, and just even declarations prior to you uh, being born about the assets that you would have in order to be that change, to be that Jesus, to be that fullness in all of those uh, sectors that they are already in. So the shift there is just going from volunteers, more volunteers to more masterpieces. And Ephesians 2.10, that classic verse, you know, uh, he's given you good works to do a long time ago. We were created anew, it says, in Christ Jesus in order to do the good works that he's prepared For you long ago, everybody has a unique role to play in the family of God in our lifetime. And if we start to see people uh, as all this potential locked in them, that we only have to just connect them to the spirit to see that blossom and then fly. uh, That's all we really need to do to release that. And for whatever reason, we think in our striving and in our work uh, to get these volunteers to get the job done through the church, we're actually squeezing off all the potential from heaven that God's put in these people to make it only come out expressed in one particular uh, organization uh, in that neighborhood called the local church. But the local church isn't just the local gathering. The church is the people. We, we've said it since we were kids, you know, uh, the, the church is the people. And we just we really need in Ephesians 2 to see every one of those is a unique fountain of that fullness and just uh, get it unloaded and get it going uh, out into uh, the world. For instance, you know, if when I was at Westside. Uh, I was I was the small groups discipleship guy, which is pretty volunteer intensive, uh, because you have to recruit uh, small group leaders and and just keep multiplying those. But the other one that I had that people would probably relate to uh, even more was the whole first impressions department. And so that's, you know, having the people that greet you as you come in to the parking lot that help you actually drop people off and get parked in an appropriate place to all the greeters coming in to all that. And and for some people that are just starting to meet again, they're going, oh, I know all those roles that I have to fill. There's that piece. You know, we're talking hundreds and hundreds of volunteers every week. And uh, I started looking at all those people out there going, I know that guy, he owns a $15 million company. He's got a lot of insight. I know that lady over there, she's a COO of a $50 million company. I I imagine that she's got some creativity. What would happen if all of the potential in all of these volunteers was able to reach its highest potential? You know, what if they spent their time? what, What if I could take these volunteer roles and turn them into a way for people to get connected into a disciple-making relationship, which has an awful lot to do with who they're becoming, of course. Uh, We call that word character, fruit of the Spirit. But what if we could truly help them in this mobilization process of helping them understand how the Spirit has hardwired them from birth throughout their life so that their projection of what they could do in this world from that day forward was bigger. Yes. And that started a whole new journey for me. I wasn't just seeing them as volunteers. I was leveraging my volunteer roles as incubators for personal calling for and we actually created a measurement bill. This was kind of fun. We, I remember the year we added a measurable and a big rock level agenda uh, to the first impressions dashboard. It's, you know, every volunteer area has an attrition rate, right? So you try to measure, here's the number of volunteers we have. Here's how many we lost uh, this quarter, et cetera. We actually had a measurement that measured how many people we lost to their next step in personal calling. How many people did we level up because they volunteered in our department? Wow. So that was a big game changer for me. That's Ephesians two. That's not seeing people as volunteers to manage. It's seeing them as masterpieces to be developed and released. Wow. Yeah,
0: be the, the greatest untapped
1: potential in the church by actually by far. Yeah. Um, oh, it is. Like, yeah. if you think about back to that analogy of the aquarium, it's like, what percentage of God's people have actually been activated into their personal calling so let's say you know the church the number of people who who know christ in your city is a hundred thousand so it's like how what percentage actually is activated into their personal calling if it's three or five percent that means you have a 95 to 97 percent lack of the fullness yeah and the only way you're going to get the fullness of jesus filling everything every way is by activating all of God's people into their calling. And that's how Jesus has designed the church to work. That's how, like, there's actually enough there to meet every need. Yeah. To to solve the problems. Because God in his genius has distributed the gifts, the passions, the the stories, the uh, abilities, the wisdom. But if we keep just having people see the end zone of mobilization, a program in the church, we're never going to have that impact. And it's this shift from, we can build it. You can help, which is like, join our programs, you know, be a volunteer. Um, We recruit you and that can still fit in this larger picture. Don't misunderstand me. But what we want to get to is you can build it. We can help, which is what Brian's talking about. Like the volunteer role now is going to lead to a discovery of personal calling in all of life. And it's calling centric, not program centric, you know, and it's a sending approach, not just a recruiting approach. That's exciting.
0: Yeah, yeah. I want to get I want to get into the nuts and bolts, and let me remind you, those of you that are, are watching as part of this webinar, go ahead and send your questions in, and Brooks will get those questions to us, because um, I want to get into the nuts and bolts of, of of what we really want to talk about here today. And the, and the timing of this is so amazing. I mean, I've literally talked to hundreds of denominational network leaders and pastors over the last twelve months. And, and it's amazing how many people have said to me, we didn't realize how Sunday-centric we were. Uh, I had one, one leader say, we weren't Sunday-centric, we were sermon-centric. And, and all of that is good. We're not saying that's bad, and we're not saying you don't need roles within the, the church at all. Uh, what we are saying is, though, that, that and people were realizing this, that, that people they thought were really on board, they found out weren't quite as discipled to the point that they thought they were. You know, and so the timing of this is really good. So let, let's get into the nuts and bolts of so what, what does it look like to reset a mobilization pathway.
2: I think the first step there is looking at volunteer roles. I know that there was some clarification needed about. Uh, someone asked, "Are we suggesting eliminating these roles in the church?" and and the answer is, heavens no. Heavens no. Uh, But let's stop viewing them as the end zone and start viewing them as the starting gates, right? Um, People are basically saying, I believe in what you're doing. I believe in what you're doing. I want to help you in what you're doing. And if we say... Good. And that's the end. Then we've kind of put the period way before the sentence actually got started. Yeah. And what we should do is to see that as the starting line. All right, you've stepped in, you now have relationships. But to me, every volunteer is a person who said, I want to be discipled. So how can we start to help them recognize the the code or the gifts, whatever is involved, uh, the the story that God has been writing into their life so that they can see how God might be wiring them up to make the biggest difference uh, possible. That's the first step is just seeing the volunteer roles uh, as very different than the end zone, seeing them as the starting gate for developing personal calling. Yeah, we, we use a couple other analogies, like it's boot camp. Like, hey, you get to start
1: learning. Some of the basics on what it means to be a minister, to learn how to work on a team, you know, all of those kind of basic skills. Or you can see it sort of like as a university system, like the goal isn't to have students at the university the rest of their life. (laughs) If you've got a kid who's working on the seven-year college plan, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, graduate already. (laughs) Get Get out there, right? (laughs) Like if we can just start reconceiving our volunteer programs in that light and start redesigning them. And Brian and I worked on this extensively, and we had actually we've had a lot of success in seeing people come into volunteerism, meaningfully engage, but it becomes this discovery and development process. And then they do they they woo. But what's crazy is you know like when we were leading our West Side's a Church Five Thousand. It it seemed like it was kingdom map. It's like, we're sending more people and God's sending more people for us to develop and deploy. And we're like, get ready. Because if you start treating people like masterpieces and seeing them like masterpieces, uh, you're going to unleash a lot of energy and potential. And the spirit of God's going to see, oh, here's someone that can be trusted. Yeah. They want, he wants to join what I'm doing or she wants to join what I'm doing. Okay, great. (laughs) So so you have the, we have this, we all have this primary calling to
0: be disciples and make disciples as we're going. What you're talking about here then is this unique secondary calling the Ephesians 2 10 gifting. You talked about Brian. So how do you, you know, like we, we kind of get the general calling, but in there, and if you think of them as two oars of a, of a, Of a rowboat, you know, kind of going in circles. We just want talk more specifically about this. How do you help people find that unique secondary calling, that thing that that
2: God created them for? I love your rowboat analogy. You just use one, you go around in circles. You use both, you start to get uh, some traction. So
0: GPS is a. You only use your secondary, unique secondary calling. All you're doing is self-serving. That's very but sure. But if you only sure. lean into the the primary call, you're never really gaining any traction. But when you, yeah, when you engage both, and so
2: I'm going to use that one, brother. That's good. I like that a lot. I would love to say it's original with me. It's not. It
1: is. <laughs> that one is pretty old. Yeah.
2: Yep. You know, we are fortunate to have had this whole idea of uh, a disco- calling discovery. Uh, tool for a long time. Bruce Bugsby, you know, started with network was the first I was ever introduced uh, to Uh, Rick Warren kind of took that and turned it into shape. And I was a huge shape teacher uh, for a long time. When I started making disciples, uh, when I started adding that personal calling uh, component uh, to our disciple making efforts, what I realized was less is more. Less is more. They need people need less information in order to accomplish or be inspired to do more things. And what I found is that if people really knew their top two gifts and their area of passion, you would basically light a match underneath this the spiritual keg of powder that's in their soul, ready to go. And when we started to see like 80% of the people in these groups have that kind of <sighs> It's like, well, we just need to do more of this, and so what made sense to me is this GPS uh, moniker. We all know what a GPS is. We got them on our phone. We got them in our watches. They're all, they all tell you kind of where you are on the planet and how to get where you want to go. But people are asking a much bigger question. They're not asking just where am I on this planet. They're asking why am I here on this planet? It's the reason purpose-driven language is so powerful. Uh, people want to tap into why they were designed, why they're here, and how can they can leave a legacy or make a meaningful mark uh, on this world. And so the GPS for us just simply means what are the gifts that you've been given, the natural and spiritual gifts? What are the passions that God has woven into your soul? There's probably a certain group of people that you're, the, you're extraordinarily passionate about, or there's there's probably some type of cause that when you hear about it or read about it, just makes your heart beat. Uh, and then of course, there's the whole apest uh, process of understanding how people are hardwired to bring uh, the kingdom of God uh, to the planet. So we wire all that into the passions. What are the things that make you tick? What makes you want to show up and get something done? Gifts, passions, and then the S for us is story. What's the story God's been writing I think our discovery process is um, unique in how we invite people after doing kind of the uh, intake forms for gifts and passions. We actually tell you to stop, invite you to stop, and then look at these definitions, look at this accumulation of information, and then spend a day or two just praying. And then go back and ask your parents if they're still alive, your siblings, Aunts and uncles, friends of when I was young, when did you see these things starting to come out? And what's been powerful for me is, you know, a lot of the people that I hang with, particularly that were on the teams that I've been a part of, they have taken all the stuff the, the network, the shape, uh, string finders, all kinds of different self awareness tests that are out there in the past. But when they got to this part where they could go back and start to ask people, nurtured and bathed in prayer, this whole process. When did you see, this thing says I was a shepherd, you know, when did you see me caring for people? And then when their parents would give them examples of when they were five years old playing soccer, and when another kid would get hurt, you go over and take care of them instead of (laughs) making sure that the other team didn't score. You start to see that God's been kind of writing this story for a long, long time, and then you you do that for every major kind of area of your life up to that point. You get kind of a highlight reel of activity of God developing your personal calling. And what we found is if we could help people curate that highlight reel based upon those spiritual assets that they perceive God has put into their soul, their imagination for what God could and is probably wanting to do in their life becomes clear. And that imagination is what we talk about. goes into the education system, goes into the law enforcement system, goes into the political system, goes into the uh, not-for-profit sectors and et cetera. And that's what we've seen. I mean, Rob said it earlier, God has provided all that we need to accomplish the things in this world that need to be done or at least in our area our pocket world that need to be done and we have seen that tangibly over and over and over and over and over again and it's really inspiring just to see how creative the spirit is when his people are connected to him and able to respond in that way
0: rob i'm going to get you to respond here too but one of the things that dawns on me listening to brian is that we're it's 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 almost like you have these domains of society, you know, government, education, the arts, and we've typically seen church as one of those domains of society. What you're talking about is is equipping people and to cut across the domains of society and to actually be the church in those domains, which is really
1: yeah. And what happens is um, when so we created this assessment process. It's called GPS. Like Brian said, it's built off of kind of the idea of global positioning system. If you pick up these signals, you can figure out where you are, where you're supposed to be. If you figure out your gifts, your passion, your story, you're going to figure out where you're at and where God wants you to be. And then we uh, created a training process for what we call calling coaches. So when people take the assessment, then they can meet with somebody who can help them really narrow down. It's kind of like, what's your top two gifts? What's your area of passion? Let's figure out some first steps what happens is a really healthy percentage of people, like there is some, now we were in a large church, but I think this is true even smaller churches. Like there's something the church is doing programmatically that then becomes a meaningful next step. And they're internally motivated to do it, but it's being presented inside of that vision you're talking about now. Like, hey, this is a beginning of a journey. We'd love for you to come and be on this team. you're, you're introducing other resources that are available for discipleship as well. For us, it was things like Fowlers made, leaders made. We're going to talk more about those next week. So come back because you need these two. If you're going yeah, to get a do disciple, yeah. you have to have an intentional disciple making environment and process and tools that are people are being in, introduced to. But now it's like, hey, this is a first step in a journey. And then suddenly they're feeling like the church is equipping me to be like what God made me to be. Like they're not just asking me to help run their organization. Like this is a process and a journey, and uh, so it's basically you have to have a calling discovery process. Uh, we had a link that's put in there. It's called. You'll see the link. It says findyourplacebook.com. Eventually, after enough iterations, we wrote a companion book uh, so that people can read this book. We wrote it not for church leaders. We wrote it for just everyday folks. It's really story driven, um, and. Uh, We've got really great feedback from people that, ordinary folks, lights them up, helps them understand the different parts of their calling. Um, We have even created, like we have whole church implementation kits. So um, it's got everything from small group curriculum, message manuscripts. Uh, We have a whole implementation manual that, uh, listen, if you're a lead pastor here, we don't want you to implement it. (laughs) That's for sure. Part of the implementation plan is like, here's how to find the right person to actually walk beside you to implement this, how to train calling coaches. Uh, it's really kind of souped the nuts on how to create a culture for personal calling that will empower your volunteer roles, but lead to much greater outcomes because it's going to be pointing to that end zone of people being mobilized where they live, work, learn, and play. And we're just hoping it's a gift to you. Like it would hopefully shorten the learning curve. Um, where our team is here to walk alongside you, um, people that have successfully implemented this in the local church with great results. Um, so if you want to explore more, that that's there in the link. But the key is key components. You got to have a calling discovery process. You you also have to have a calling deployment process, and then you have to have a discipleship uh, pathway with intentional discipling environments underneath this whole thing. You put those three things in place and reset around that.
0: You even even mentioned the fourth one at the very beginning, that the the shift in seeing people as volunteers is seeing um, programs in the church as the end point and, and as the only place, but that, that shift that seems like a significant shift too which is interesting because i've never met anybody who said they didn't believe in the priesthood of all believers but so much of what we seem to do in the church is works against that it creates this sort of two class system you know where one serves the the other ones and, uh, yeah, and that shift seems like that's important as well
1: and we you know We did this event with Francis Chan yesterday here in Kansas city online. And Francis said something that was really meaningful to me. He was like, I didn't realize like when I was planting the first church, it became a mega church. He's like, I was just like working with kind of the systems and the processes that were already in play. And I didn't realize the outcomes of a lot of these. So I'm not like trying to rage at the world or whatever. It's like, I built it this way. I just didn't, I didn't know what some of the unintended consequences would be, you know? And I think it's, it's a great time for us as church leaders to just go, oh, okay, there are some unintended outcomes. I didn't want to build a caste system. I didn't want me up here and a vo- bunch of volunteers. I think most church leaders they got in this because it's like, man, I want everybody lit up for Jesus, fully engaged for Jesus. But we've been handed a kind of a 1,700-year-old way of thinking about how to do church. And we really do have a once in a lifetime opportunity right now because of COVID, where it's like, no, we can we could actually start up a new system. And it doesn't mean you have to blow everything up. I hope what you're hearing today is you have an opportunity yeah. to take that current system, but make it a, a smaller part of a much bigger way of mobilizing people.
0: In fact, how would you, I, I, I wanna get into you know some of these examples, but how would you advise a church to start this like would you make this a a church-wide program would you or would you start with a few people or, or how would you how would you recommend churches begin to engage you know you've got a pastor who's had this mindset shift and now you know he he really really wants to
2: move into mobilizing people where where do you tell him to start that's a fantastic question. And that's actually a part of that kit that Rob was talking about. We basically say, start here and just follow these steps. It's a DNA thing, right? Mm-hmm. And um, how do you change the DNA? Well, Jesus did it by just starting with a few, you know, the three, and then through the 12, and then the 72, and the and then the, the 300 that were eventually around to Pentecost. And I think that's just the start to it. And we've got the tools in there to do that in your church, to start with the, start with your team, start with the, the ones closest to you to start to change the DNA. How do we start to look at these precious volunteers that God's given us who have been faithful, who have walked alongside of us, who have sacrificed great things? How can we start to see them less as volunteers to be managed and more as masterpieces to be developed? And of course, can't go through all of that, but we've got those resources available. And then there's like sermon series that you can do to go along with that book, uh, Find Your Place that that Rob and I put together, part of the Exponential series and and the, the the unique difference of Find Your Place to a lot of the other calling development things. There's a lot of great resources out there. Is This actually does open the aperture up beyond the uh, local church opportunities that what I found to be true as a guy inside of the the, the mega model, I needed more and better volunteers. And the, the beauty about doing this kind of thing, Bill, is that it does put a lot more passionate and skilled people in current in the church roles. But it also put a lot more passionate and skilled people in partnering organizations that were kind of more in the community roles. And then Like for the super entrepreneuristic, it creates new experiences in the community that the church can cheerlead or partner with, uh, depending on what they want. So that's where I would start. I would just start small, start working through books like this, um, taking that thing together, that the GPS assessment, which is free together, and just start asking, what would it look like? And then we do have that Just this step-by-step process of how I would integrate. If I could do it all over again, this is how I would start. If I was in a church of 300, 200, whatever it is, this is how I would start uh, to get this new culture uh, emerged, planting the seeds and then watching it blossom one story at a time. That's really good. Yeah, that's probably the
0: the, the best question is if you had it to do over again, what would you do? So I appreciate you answering it that way. Yeah, that's it. That's great. So when that when that happens and and you're getting people meaningfully deployed in their calling, like, how do you how do you keep that from becoming a free for all? What what does that
1: look like when that begins to happen? Well, I would first of all, again, this is an invite to come back next week. If you have a if you have an intentional disciple making process, um, you will be equipping people so that they won't be expecting to be in some weird codependent relationship with the local church. They won't be coming back and going, where's my budget? And can I talk about it on the weekend? And how do we get this uh, you know, on the front page of the website? And- uh,
2: Yeah, because, legitimate question.
1: Right. right. Um, that is not what we're advocating for. And that's not what we actually experienced. We had a very different story, but it was because we had, okay, here's a six month journey to help a believer actually become a disciple maker. We call it followers made. And then here's a 10 month journey to help that person become, it's called leaders made. It's a, how do you actually lead a community of people the way Jesus did? See, when you're doing that kind of intentional discipleship alongside calling discovery, people are realizing, oh, I have to do it the way Jesus did. That doesn't mean I go back to my pastor and ask him to fund it and run it for me. (laughs) It's not how Jesus did. Like I have to build a team of 12. And I've been shown how to do it, though. Like, you're not just telling me to go do it. Like, I've been through Father's man. I've been through, like, I know these basic skills and spiritual habits now. And so um, it's possible, Bill, with a good discipleship culture uh, to release everybody without it being chaos. In fact, what you're moving into then is, like, the genius of Jesus. Yeah. Like, empowering yeah. his people. And they're way more creative than you could ever be you know, they, they end up ex- like you, you stand like, so I, we have so many stories like this now in Kansas city. Like, it's like, do you have eight hours? <laughs> and, and like, I look at what's happening in the business sector and in education and with human trafficking and with, I mean, I can start going on a list and you're just like, this is insane. <laughs> yeah. it, like Jesus will equip. He has equipped his people. If we can activate it by partnering, by equipping so that all those gifts that have been laid in them can get activated, but they're not trying to do it like a bunch of lone rangers. Like they learn how to do it the way Jesus did by, that's where the primary calling comes in. Like if you're running around doing your personal calling, but you don't know how to make disciples. That's what you described though. But if we can do both, and that's where we're really gonna go the next couple of weeks with these webinars. Like we wanna break that down too. And, and help that be operational, not just theoretical. Yeah.
2: Bill, let me come at that question from a, a slightly different answer. All that is absolutely true, uh, but I, this is kind of a kind of a curt little response. I would rather manage a free-for-all than to try <laughs> to inspire no mobilization. That's true. You know, a no mobilization environment. Um, your question and, and the concern is very, very legitimate, but like Rob said, um, coupled with disciple making, where they're not just develop discovering gifts of the spirit and going, oh, I have the gift of service. Let's have a coat drive. And then it has to be in the bulletin. And then it takes up the, the lobby. I mean, those I've, I've been around long enough to know that those are true. But what we found happened more than anything is that people's creativity, at least on the front end, had something associated with what we were already doing. Uh, And then it didn't become competition. It became an augmentation. It's like uh, my buddy, Paul uh, Ward, um, entrepreneur guy, just brilliant guy, uh, loved the small group setting, but didn't care for like the small group framework within the church. And that's something that could either frustrate me or inspire me. And I chose to go the inspire route for the last 10 years of my, you know, career instead of being the threatened. So I was just like, well, what's on your mind? He's like, man, there are so many disconnected men who would never connect at West side at all or whatever church, you know, we were, that's the church we were a part of at the time. I'm not going to get them there. They have no interest in that, but they're interested in fire and they're interested in becoming, you know, better managers of their family and better workers and business owners and all that. And I said, well, why don't you just pull a fire together? Like, what do you want to do? Like if you were to do that and just have men that weren't just weren't connected at all, how would you do it? He's like, well, there was this business wheel that people used to have that had these seven criteria how are my relationships? How's my intelligence? How's my family network? How's my health? I mean, they had all these different, they call it the wheel because there's different spokes of your life and whichever one of those spokes is the most broken, that's where you're losing the most momentum. And so you basically share your lowest, you know, um, spoke and the other guy's voice into it. And this was just a business roundtable. So Paul said, I found that valuable. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to have spiritual as one of the spokes. All right, that's a great idea. What's kind of the long game? He said, well, in my life, what I've learned from these disciple-making groups is that the Spirit is actually the hub of the wheel, not a spoke of the wheel. But these guys start with it as a spoke of the wheel. And it's a way to get the conversation going early. So he's basically created this thing that's multiplied. It wasn't a program of, that we had to, to uh, manage. It was a ministry that we got to cheerlead. And it wasn't in competition with what we're doing. It actually ended up being fuel uh, for what we were doing. So we saw an awful lot more of that than we saw the uh, yeah. what would be categorized as a free-for-all that's more of a pain. So that's yeah. just one of many stories that are just so powerful to me. Let me add one other story, too. The other thing that happens is like your
1: next sort of program of the church that's actually very effective might be started by one of those people. Absolutely. So like, uh, the first time I started implementing this, I was back at Granger community church in Indiana. And there was two women that really were passionate about at risk kids in the inner city. And they, you know, it was a new culture because they were still trying to come to me and go, Granger needs to start a program. And it was like, well, remember we're doing this new thing. Like the Lord's called you to do this. I will support you. I will give you leadership training, you know, help you know how to make disciples. Well, they, they got going Right, and in a year, they had like ninety kids, like every almost every kid in this one inner mm. city housing project and and then suddenly they had this huge team you know they had like thirty people that they were organizing and leading, and it ended up making sense in the next ministry season for the, our church. they go, you know what Sun City Kids is now going to be an official ministry of Granger Community yeah. Church, and we ended up with hundreds of kids in it in different locations. It started with two women at a picnic table with four, four or five kids. And they created it. And then we realized, oh, the Lord's calling us as a church to invest into this. And eventually it had like a sports league, did after school tutoring, like all these other aspects of it. And that was amazing because it felt like then we were letting the people of God, not just the pastors, yeah, like the people of God were leading the church. It's like, hey, those two, Sandra, yeah, she started this, not a
2: pastor. It- yeah. And it started with two ladies in volunteer roles at a local congregation. See it as the beginning of the journey, not the destination. Gosh, it. that's
0: powerful. I love it, Rob. I'm I'm going to ask you to share a personal story. You mentioned Granger, and I know your time in India was formative. And you shared a story one time about um, coming back about a lady that was planting micro in India, and you coming back on a weekend that you were getting ready to recruit volunteers. Could you share that? Uh, that that was really meaningful to me when I heard you share that before.
1: Yeah. Uh, you did a great job telling it, by the way. <laughs> that's I'm it. Kidding. We were deeply, we were probably five or six years into a real deep partnership with some um, movement leaders in India. Yeah. And it didn't start as a movement. It started as like a mindset of, Hey, let's just equip ordinary people to live like missionaries in their villages and some of them were willing to even go to unreached people groups. Like we had this one electrical engineer. He would hike up every weekend to this unreached people group at the top of a mountain, spend the whole weekend there. Come, He'd start hiking down at like two in the morning so he could be at work at seven. Like that'll change you. It's like that guy's not getting paid. He's like he's an electrical engineer. It. But Jesus told them, like, you need to get to the Malayali tribe up at the top of that mountain. He's like, OK, Jesus, you know. So one of those people is a woman named Martha. She's a stay-at-home mom. She lives in a fairly large city that's on an interstate in India. So there's a lot of trafficking, sex trafficking, because of the trucks that were going in and out of there, and the truck drivers go to the brothels and so forth. And she really felt called to minister to those women and their families. So she uh, would send her kids to school, take care of her household duties, and she started doing her shopping down at the red light district which you don't do if you're a good Hindu or whatever, you know, like, and she's following Jesus now, but you get what I mean. She's breaking social protocols. You know what I mean? Hmm. She makes friends, finds a person of peace. They start having tea together and she starts planting the gospel. And these women start coming to Christ and there's one micro church. And then it's like their children. And some of them, I know it's hard to believe are even married, you know, like families are, and then it's like two and then it's three. And then they realize, we have to have another way to live and make a living. And they started a, a tailoring shop, seamstress business. And I watched this thing unfold over about a year and a half. And she's just going through the training, just a mom and that's going for it. And, and, you know, coming back to Granger, we hadn't really implemented this stuff yet. You know, we didn't, we didn't have our skunk works kind of new initiative going and just being so convicted and in particular in one volunteer series where I'm preaching and trying to get people to volunteer, I realized our current mobilization process that we've all created. Like if Martha was in our church, she would never end up doing what she's doing. Mm -hmm. Because basically I'm just saying, I need you to volunteer a few months in children's ministry, or I need you to volunteer a few hours a month as in first impressions. And those things are good. But I realized if we don't change this, I'm actually distracting or delaying God's people from the thing they're ultimately called to do. And I can't do that anymore. And so it's, I've kind of been obsessed for 15 or more years since then of like, how do we recreate the mobilization systems so that we we don't end up delaying or distracting God's people, but deploying them.
0: Yeah. That's, that's powerful. And it, and it is a, a discipleship issue. And and I want to mention those of you that are watching, we've got a few more minutes here. If you have a question that you want to get in um, feel free to put that in the chat, but it's a, it's a discipleship issue too. I was and uh, a, wedding recently and in the buffet line and um, a guy a couple I've known for years and years, I mean, probably over almost 30 years now. And they, they just talked about, you know, Hey, we, yeah, we changed churches. The music wasn't really, the people weren't really singing along like they used to. And so we moved over here and, and they're good Christian people, you know, they're that. but I I was thinking about them later that they've not been exposed Tenny, this has not been discipled in that. So it seems like, I mean, it really is a disciple-making issue. Um, and, and it seems like we stop short with helping people understand that God's actually called you to be a full-time pastor, missionary, whatever word you're comfortable with. You know, you'll just probably never draw a ch- paycheck from the
2: church. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah, our theology for disciple-making is character times calling. Equals impact and um, calling. If you try to disciple that by itself, really won't go anywhere. If you just just character, the fruit of the spirit doesn't really go anywhere. If you put the two of those together, boom! That's where we found the real magic. People were mobilized, and they were they were they were becoming more godly people and more powerful people at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that's a beautiful combination.
0: Yeah, it really is. It's, it's fun to see people live in to their calling and really recognize that. Yeah. So we've got, we've got a couple more webinars coming up on this next one will be two weeks from today. Right. right. Two weeks from today, same time. So tease a little bit out, like what will be, what will be, we we'll be hitting next week or, or th- not next week, but the next time and the
1: time after that, What do, what do you see coming up here? Well, next week is going basically today was going beyond having enough volunteers. Next week is about going beyond leadership development. There's been, of course, a massive wake up in the last 20 years in the church. Like, whoa, we need leaders. We gotta get, we gotta get more leaders. We need leaders to lead teams. We need, uh, we want our staff to be great leaders. We want to, Hey, we want to plant churches. So we need great leaders. And there's been a ton of like leadership pipeline, leadership pipeline. Here's the, here's the challenge. Um, Leadership is actually the fruit of discipleship. So it's possible to create a leadership pipeline and you're spitting out the wrong kinds of people at the end, even though they're getting the skills and the competencies and the training to do X and Y and Z. If we don't start with discipleship, see leadership is the fruit of the root of disciple making. So if we're going to reset and we want more and better leaders. Which, by all means, I want more and better leaders. I'm, I'm radically committed to leadership development. But if it isn't built on a disciple-making foundation, it will always crumble. Yeah. Um, and we, we and not to like beat up on anyone. I don't mean I'm not throwing shade, but like the greatest advocate for leadership development in the church in the last twenty years is Bill Heidels. And, and I'm just saying, if the disciple-making character times calling piece Brian's talking about isn't baked in at all levels, eventually, even if it looks amazing, overnight, that thing can crumble.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. So now it's time to reset. Like, if we don't have a great disciple-making culture, we got an incredible opportunity to go, all right. Yep. Raise up the spiritual influence of everyone. That's right. next week. So I hope you all come back for that. And That's the one question we're most excited about. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do have a
0: question that came in that I want to hit before we go here. It said, uh, I love this. As more people step into these roles, have you been challenged in your paid vocational role as a pastor?
1: Man, I love
2: this person. What an honest question. Go ahead, Brian. You know, um, there's there's a there's a feeling of will I be needed? Uh, but here's what I found. This is very short because I know our time is limited. If you're faithful in the small things, God will make you competent for bigger things. And so I was probably threatened at my capacity as a pastor a long time ago. But the more I developed people, the more the more horizon God would let me see for what we as a team of people could accomplish together. So it's almost like I think I'm going to graduate myself out. But in God's economy, we ended up graduating myself up. uh, The influence of that congregation becomes stronger in the community. More needs are being met. More value is being demonstrated. Jesus is getting more famous. And my ability to work with this new team, not just me, but God's making me better because he's put me together with other people. I just actually kept outgrowing my fear of being replaced as God just saw me continually level up uh, my influence as I was faithful with the few that he gave me. Mm. And I,
1: the other thing Brian and I have noticed uh, is if you make that shift from I'm the teacher, I'm the doer, to I'm like, I'm the equipper and the deployer, It it, it the more you do this for people, actually, the more loyalty you get back. Totally.
2: People are if like, If you like this with your volunteers, you lose them. If you like this with your volunteers, you find them. Jesus said something about that. Okay.
0: Uh, this has been good guys. I appreciate your time today. I appreciate you, the work that uh, God's done through you to develop these tools and, uh, and look forward to uh, this next, next one, two weeks from today.
1: Yep. Hey, also in uh, just in closing, if you're interested in exploring any of these tools um, we're actually going to, we actually have a 25% off, Discount right now in GPS for anyone who's been a part of this webinar today, Brian. How do people get that?
2: Rooks will be dropping the uh, link to subscribe. Um, we've got three kits there, and you can see the different descriptors. I highly recommend the gold kit, and we will give you twenty five percent off today. It's four ninety nine typically, that takes it down to about three seventy five. And you can register for that and get that information to start reading that step by step implementation packet right away. There's a sermon series with a small group series attached to it to start when your team is ready to take this idea out to the whole church. It makes it easy. And as Rob said earlier, how to identify and develop coaches to help people process this information. And before you know it, you're a broker of these very willing people ready to serve and the opportunities that you have to help them develop and what a beautiful spot that is. So hope you'll take advantage of that opportunity. It really is guys. Good to be with you and uh,
0: look forward to, to next time. God Thanks lent. for joining us, Bill.
1: Thanks, everybody. Hope to see you
0: back in a couple of weeks.